So what do you like about Christmas Day? What's so cool about Christmas Day for you guys? I'll start at this end. Mia, anything you like about Christmas Day? Food, maybe? Yeah, food. Okay, what about you? What do you like about Christmas Day? Pardon? The king was born. That's the greatest thing, isn't it? Anyone else? Yeah? Lunches and dinners, yeah? Food and presents, yes. Emily? Okay, that's all right. So the thing about Christmas Day is all the excitement is and all the special things, food, family, presents, but above all, the greatest gift of all, which is Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you about something which um, maybe helps us to think a little bit what I'm going to be talking about later, because if you think about all of your presents or all of the things, let's even just forget about presents and stuff like that, but just in general, like of all of your things that you have, maybe your toys and things at home, what do you think, if you think in your mind, you don't need to necessarily tell me, but what do you think might be the, your most special thing? What's your most special thing, the thing that you value the most, that you would hate to lose or get broken? Have you got any thoughts of anything that, you, yeah? Your bed. Your bed, well, that's, yeah, that's very important because you spend a lot of time in your bed, don't you? That's right. You would hate for your bed to get broken. Yeah. Very practical. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to tell you a bit of a story about when I was young. So the thing that when I was maybe from about eight to 10, we were kind of, I grew up on a farm, so we were into, we liked having knives. Okay. It might seem a bit strange for you uh, if you're from the city, but we, would have a knife and would go to the sports uh, shops and look in the glass cabinet, you know, and look at all the cool knives in there. Some of them would have like deer antler handles and different things like that. And so I had got myself a special knife and I thought it was pretty cool. And I went fishing with my friends once down at the wharf one day. And can you guess what happened to my knife? It didn't break. It was kind of even sadder than that. It fell in, and I just watched it fall down into the wharf, and that was it. Goodbye to my knife. So I thought, I need to get myself another knife. So what am I going to do? Well, back in the old days, you didn't go on the internet. You would get a brochure, and I got uh, started looking in these, you know, these little books of all these pictures of these most amazing knives from America. And I found one, and it was called a Buck 105, and that was the... And, and I realized I, if I pulled, draw, drew all of my money, $65, out of my bank account, I could afford to buy the Buck 105. And I bought the Buck 105. I had to wait for it. I had to send the money away, wait for it to come. And how, now let me ask you a question. Where do you think my Buck 105 knife is now? Any ideas where it might be? Yeah. It might, well, if I had a basement, it would be there. What's, what's the other place that you put it if you don't have a basement? Yeah, attic or in, out in the garage. In fact, I was lying in bed last night thinking, I should bring my Buck 105 and, along and show you guys. I could pull it out, have it on my belt, pull it out. And then I thought, this morning, I thought, actually, I have no idea even, I've, I think I've still got that knife, but I have no idea where it even is. Now, 
when I bought that knife, how important do you think it was for me? I think it was very important that I had that knife. Do you think I, it was very valuable to me? You know. But I drew all of my money out of my bank account. You know, I took out all my money and I had, guess how much money I had left over in my bank account when I bought it? Zero dollars. I had no money left. I spent everything to buy that knife. And now I don't even know where it is. I think it's in a box somewhere in my garage. And so later on, I'm going to be talking about a man who spent everything he had to buy the greatest treasure. And Jesus says, this is what we should do. Now, what do you think the treasure is that we should buy? Jesus says we should buy. It's not a knife. Please, not a knife. What's the treasure do you think it is that we should buy? That we should spend everything to get? Jesus, that's right. He says it's the kingdom of heaven. So it's interesting that when I tell you about my knife, that when we, um, you know, sometimes we buy things or we get things and we think they're really important to us and they're really precious, but we realize they're actually not. But Jesus says there's one thing that is very precious, and that is the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're going to talk about later on. So Christmas Day, you might get some cool presents, you maybe not. I didn't used to get presents on Christmas Day when I was a kid, but you maybe get some presents on Christmas Day. And the thing you really have to realize, though, is, is that are those the most important things in your life? No, they're not. The most important thing is Jesus. That's right. Yes, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you that you are the greatest gift that we could ever receive. In fact, your word tells us that it's worth us giving up everything in order to have our King Jesus ruling our lives. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to value him as our greatest treasure as we pray in his name. Amen. Well, if you live around this part of town, you probably hear something that I've been hearing a bit of lately, and we have some of our locals who like to ride their motorcycles around, and they don't go very fast, but you hear the engines going very fast. And they sort of rev them up, and then they hit a patch, and they don't go any further. And I understand that the, it's because they put a rev limiter on the engine so they don't over-rev. And, and so when you were looking at that engine, you'd see it right up the top, maybe at the red line or something like that, even though they're doing 30 k's and they're going over pedestrian crossing or through the traffic lights or something like that. And I was just thinking about that today as I, in relation to Christmas Day and what Christmas is supposed to mean for us, what Christmas should evoke, what it should produce within our hearts, which is not revs, motorcycle revs, although maybe that's your thing, but joy, a joy rev, okay? I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about where your joy measurement is, where your joy meter is today. Now, don't worry, I understand that we're all human beings and we don't all operate at red line of joy, even if we are Christians today. In fact, when you read the Bible, the Bible makes it very clear that Christmas is only happening because God wants to glorify himself 
by saving wretched sinners like you and me. Sorry to be a dampener on your Christmas day, but that's the truth, isn't it? He, when Joseph was told about the son that was going to be born to him, he was told, call him what? Yeshua, Jesus. Why? He will save his people from their sins. Okay, not come to save all these wonderful, good people down in Manurewa in Auckland because they've been so nice and so kind to each other. That's not why. He will save his people from their sins. And Jesus uses a parable which helps us to understand something of that connection between joy and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's found in Matthew chapter 14, no, Matthew 13, and it's just one verse actually, this parable. It's a one-verse parable which Jesus tells to his disciples. And Jesus tells the parable like this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So what Jesus is doing is he's using parables to reveal or make known things that otherwise would be hidden to us. And it's kind of like the way we use stories and illustrations to help people. And sometimes we do that with children, but we also do that with adults. Well, Jesus is telling these parables to make known something that would otherwise be hidden to us. And he says that this, he tells the story of a man who finds something that is so valuable to him, so priceless that he's willing to give up everything to get that thing, to get that treasure. The Apostle Paul could identify that where he says, you know, I counted everything as loss or everything as rubbish in comparison to possessing Christ. But let's look at this parable here. Here you can imagine it's probably um, it's a farm scene. It's out, somebody's out in the paddock. They've got probably two oxen. They've got a bit of a plow. Plows in those days were not like the plows that we have today with the, 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 uh, the shears on the plows as they are today. They often were just something sharp poked in the ground, maybe a sharpened piece of wood. And anyway, the, the, the farm worker, he's out in the paddock and he's plowing along to, uh, to be able to plant the crops. And as he's plowing along and the oxen are pulling the plow along, suddenly the plow jumps or it stops or it shudders. And he thinks, that's weird. That didn't feel quite like a, a rock in the field. But So he's, he gets the oxen to stop. Get, you can imagine him. He gets down on his hands and knees, scrabbles around in the dirt to see what it was that the that the the um, the plow hit because he thought he heard a bit of a noise, possibly the noise of breaking pottery. Why? Well, these days, maybe you put your cash in your mattress. I've never met anyone personally who does that, but that's apparently what we're supposed to do with our cash. And in ancient times, people didn't stuff cash into their mattresses. They would put it in clay jars and bury it in the ground. That was the safest place to put it. So he was probably maybe aware of this. He gets down on his hands and knees, he scrabbles around in the dirt, and his eye catches the glint of gold or the sparkle of a gem or a sapphire or something like that. So what's he going to do? If that was you, what would you do? You're going to look around, aren't you? Did anyone see this? 
Has anyone else spotted this? Has, is anyone watching me? And so he, he looks around, he, he checks around to see that nobody has, has seen him or spotted him, and so he carefully buries it and maybe tries to make the furrow again where the plow has been to make it look like there's nothing extraordinary has gone on there. And then he, what does he do? Jesus says this man then goes and he takes everything he has, everything he owns, everything in his bank account, his, his oxen, okay, they're off down to the, the sale yards, uh, the plow that goes to the farm machinery store, and, and, and everything else, he takes that and he sells it, and it doesn't bother him one little bit. Even his great-grandmother's silver spoons, they get sold, they go down to the auction house, and they get, they get sold as well. And he doesn't care two hoots. He does it, in fact, joyfully. Why? Because he is going to take all of the money that he has got from selling and getting rid of all of his stuff, and he's going to take it. And what? He's going to buy the field. Because in that field is the treasure that he has spotted. And so he, he does that without any sense of regret, without any you know, second guessing or maybe or what if or should I hold on to this or should I keep that or what would my mum or what would grand auntie say if I sold that thing she gave me? No, he sells it all with joy, Jesus says. Now, Jesus is using this as an illustration to teach us about the value of the kingdom of heaven. Now, we know that you can't buy the kingdom of heaven, right? It's not the, that's not the teaching behind this parable. It's not what it's trying to, to show you. It's, it's not for sale. But what Jesus is trying to show us is that if it was for sale, what would you do in order to get the kingdom of heaven? In other words, what would you do in order to have King Jesus to rule and reign over your heart, over your life, over everything? And he says, if we if we could, we would sell everything in order to get that thing, in order to have the kingdom of heaven, in order to have Jesus to rule and reign over your life. And I've thought of, as I'm trying to think about how we apply this to ourselves, I thought of a couple of angles. That's not my cat, by the way. You cannot see that cat. It doesn't exist. Um, someone, does someone want to take it and might have to shut the door or something? Sorry? It lives here. <laughs> Is it your cat? <laughs> I know you love cats, Logan. So anyway, let's, let's bring our focus back to this parable here. The, the man who finds the treasure in the field. If, it, as, as we try and think about how we apply this to ourselves, um, the, the thing is, is that he sees the value of the kingdom of heaven. And he needs, he knows that he needs that. And maybe one way to approach this parable is to ask yourself is, how valuable is it for you to have the, the rule of Jesus in your life? How is it for, valuable for, is it for you to have Jesus ruling and running your life, to have Jesus in the driver's seat, so to speak, of your life and my life? And maybe you're just sitting here today and you think, well, actually, Jeff, you're you're not even asking a question that I'm interested in. It's, it's not even a relevant question for me. I'm quite happy with the way things are. My life is going pretty good. I don't need this Christianity crutch. I suspect, though, that you are here today. 
on Christmas, apart from the fact that maybe a family member dragged you along or something like that. But I'm, I suspect that you're here today because you're kind of a bit curious about it. Maybe you think there is something that you are missing in your life. If you're like me, you look at your life, you realize that if you don't have King Jesus, things are just a total mess. I know that about my life. Until I had Jesus ruling and reigning, and until I bowed my knee before him as my Lord and King, my life was a mess. My life, I was running my life my way, sure. I was doing things the way I wanted to do them, sure. But it was a mess. And in fact, it was a deadly mess. And I know I wouldn't be here today if Jesus Christ had not come and conquered and reigned in my, and continued to reign in my life. But, uh, you know, maybe that still doesn't convince you. Well, let me ask you another question, then maybe try a different angle. You see, because one of the things you notice about this man is that when he finds this treasure and he, he, he discovers it in the field, we're told that he with great joy, is it great joy? No, and just, just joy, okay, so take that back there. He, with his joy... He goes and sells everything he has in order to obtain that field and the treasure that is in it. And um, that maybe I could ask you the question and then is, you know, where is the joy in your life? Where is it located? What is it that is giving you joy? You see, this man, he discovered this treasure. And for Jesus, to, he is saying, this is the kingdom of heaven. And that is what was giving him joy. So what is it that is giving you joy? I've heard on the radio, I think it's on the radio, there's an ad that's like, um, fill in the missing word, so if I won lotto, have you heard that one? I would, and then it's a blank, and if I won lotto, I would do this and that sort of thing. And, and you know and I know, that, and, and as I tried to illustrate with the children, that possessions and the things that we get, money and stuff like that, it doesn't really give us lasting joy, does it? Does it? It doesn't give us joy, does it? It doesn't last. Things that we possess, you know, you think of whatever the latest, greatest gadget you bought, how long does that joy last? My experience is that I think the older you get, the joy sort of just diminishes incrementally until eventually you buy something that when you were, 20 years ago, you thought, oh, if I had that, my life would be happy and I'd be, feel, I'd, you know, be complete. And then you get it and it's like, yeah, whatever, you know, put it in the drawer or put it down and, and, and think about it later or open it in a couple of weeks. You see, none of, the, none of that joy lasts, doesn't it? does it? So maybe you're saying, well, if I could make the next sale, that, great, that sale, I'd, I would be happy. Or even if I don't get sick, that would give me joy, or if I could see my kids, that would give me joy, if I could spend time with my family, or if he asked me to marry him, that would give me joy. Now, these things do, I'm, I'm not trying to say we shouldn't find joy or pleasure in any of those things. It, those are legitimate things that give us joy and, and, and pleasure in life. But you and I know that none of these things last and this is Jesus' whole point here, isn't it? This man, he is, he is with joy able to sell all of those things. Whatever it was, whatever he possessed at that present time, 
he joyfully gives it up because in that field is the great treasure. And he says, it is the kingdom of heaven, which is the thing that will give you joy. And so that you will, in a sense, be very happy to give up everything else in order to have the Lord Jesus Christ reign and rule in your life. We see glimpses of this, by the way, in the Christmas story as it unfolds. I love how we're told when Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Remember, Elizabeth is already pregnant with John the Baptist. And when Mary comes and she says, hi, uh, hi Elizabeth, hi, cousin. And, and Elizabeth says, you know, when you greeted me, when the baby heard your voice, the baby leapt for what? Joy. Baby John was joyful just to hear the voice of Jesus, even in utero, even when he was in Elizabeth's womb. And so when the angels came and announced to the shepherds the birth of Jesus, what did they say? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? That's where I got the great from. Great joy. The great joy that will be for all people. For all people. That's as we were reminded yesterday, that's for you and that's for me. No one is excluded. And so the point is this, and this is what Jesus is trying to bring home in this parable at Christmas time, is that you will never, ever regret willingly submitting yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ as your King and as your Lord and as your Master. Yes, I know there will be tears. There will be tears. There will be sorrow. There will be times of pain. And Jesus knows that. He says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Jesus promises joy at the end of it, and what the Lord gives, the world cannot take away. So my friend, when God is, uh, shows you where true joy is to be found, I think we would be foolish to ignore it, to overlook it. Um, I don't know what you've got for Christmas or what you're going to get for Christmas. If anything, I got, I got three socks, and what else did I get? I can't remember. What else did I get? I, three socks. Oh, and a T-shirt. Three socks and a T-shirt. Um, it's, it's awesome to have those things. But, you know, you get a special T-shirt. What happens to it? You lift up your arm one day and there's a hole underneath and the thread comes out and the socks get holes in them and you have to throw them in the rubbish. None of these things last. Whereas the point of Christmas is that we will willingly and joyfully push aside all other things, all other competing claims to what will bring you and I joy. There's only one thing that will bring you true and lasting joy. That is the reign of Jesus Christ in your life over everything. As you come before him, you confess your sins and say, Jesus, I'm making a real mess of my life. I've tried my hardest. I thought I was doing pretty good, but Ultimately, I know that without you, I'm lost because one day I'm going to face eternity. And if I don't have you as my king, I'm lost. There's nothing to show for it. There's no luggage racks on the hearses, brothers and sisters. There's nothing left except the one thing, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Very famous missionary 
His name is Jim Elliott. He and four other friends, you would have heard of him. Just about no Christian has never heard of Jim Elliott. They went down to Ecuador to share the gospel with the uh, what they called the Alka Indians. They had various other names. And as they made contact with this tribal group, and they eventually went to meet them, and the story is, is that Jim and his four other friends were attacked and killed by this, this, uh, this tribe of, of uh, Indians in, in Ecuador. Jim Elliott kept a, a diary, and in 1949, he wrote in his diary, or in his journal, these words. He wrote, He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's this parable here. Willing to give up everything in order to have that one thing that lasts for eternity, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lasts forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that today, on this Christmas day, we are presented once again with the greatest gift of all, our King Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would, like the man in the story, help us to see the value of Jesus. We know that without your Spirit opening our eyes, we can't see it. Maybe we've heard this about Christmas many times before. Maybe we've heard about Jesus many times before. But it just seems like idle tales, like fairy tales, like just made up stuff. But Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, to understand and to see the great value of Jesus, of the kingdom of heaven, that King Jesus would rule and reign that he would bring salvation, that he would deliver us from ourselves, and that he would show us what it means to truly live, to truly have joy. Lord, so help us to rejoice in this truth and help us with joy to give up all else to have Christ our Savior, as we pray in his name. Amen.